Hey, I'm Alex. I'm Val. We're here for In at the End. A podcast where we watch episodes of The Sopranos and then we come in here and talk about it. Yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> and we're excited to be doing season two. Very cool to be here. Yeah, uh, even though we just finished watching season one like right. two days ago. Yeah, we're just going to get right we'll into roll it. right into it. But yeah. we get a lot of awesome new characters that stay with us for a bit. Yeah, I feel like they're really expanding the world in this episode. Yeah, and not a ton of action, action, right? So, no. you know, and I think it's an episode that's a lot about time and the passage of time. And yes. so it is interesting to see kind of some of these themes coming back of like the mundaneness or the fucking, the fucking regularness of life. Of life. Yeah, um, coming into this episode and kind of setting the stage, I guess, for people who are going to be players in the season although notably there are some characters who are going to play a big role in this season who we haven't met yet that's right but yeah it's exciting here we yeah, are here we are well let's start it's uh directed we have alan coulter which is cool to see one of our main main men main dudes <laughs> coming in and uh written by Jess- jason cahill and yeah exactly like you said i agree like i don't think especially after the action that concludes season one we're definitely not dealing with that kind of plot development or major dramatic tension right now yeah we're kind of just dropped into the world at a indefinite point in time that's later yeah than where we were yeah we really have no idea how much time has passed again kind of for an episode that is about time they don't give us any kind of straightforward clues on that necessarily either. Um, we get a montage. Yeah. When I was 17. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now I forget if they start other seasons like this. Hmm. Well, we have Tony going down to the end of the driveway to pick right. up the I newspaper. Know, I know which we is like have a classic that. classic scene shot that they use at the beginning mm-hmm. of, of seasons. But yeah. do we have montages? Oh. We'll see. Okay. Keep listening, and you'll find out. We'll all find out. Yeah. It's just we don't speak out of turn. Which yeah. we sometimes do. <laughs> we try not to. Um, well, I think it's, it's fascinating, actually, the way that the episode actually starts is they're in the securities test. Mm-hmm. And there's a really interesting decision that they make in this show, where in this episode, where before there's any statements about the fact that it's a stock test, they wait almost 10 seconds of just nothing. That's yeah, actually like, how they start the season. The proctor's like wiping his face with a handkerchief. He's almost just sitting there doing nothing. He looks at his watch, right? Everybody's just kind of sitting there doing um, Yeah. And that's when he's like, all right, this is this test. Yeah. Um, there's a guy like jiggling his leg. Like the 10 seconds go on for a long you time. You almost don't really notice it and it, it really fits. But at the same time, when you stop to think about it, that's a deliberate decision that's rather bold. Mm. If you think about how they're starting the second season, they're starting with nothing. Yeah. And I do think that that plays into this kind of, there's kind of this like nihilistic aspect to this show. Where everything's kind of a big nothing is a term that we hear. Yeah. You know, from Livia and characters kind of wrestling with this idea of what is there to life? Is it just a big nothing? And also the aspect of life being so boring and mundane and a mob show focusing on the most trivial aspects of life for all of its characters. Yeah. So I just thought it was it was really interesting how yeah. that's how they started. Well, and then we do see that kind of continue in some ways through the montage, right? Um, I didn't jot down all the 
scenes that we see, right? But we definitely see, you know, family members and mob family members in whatever they've been doing since we last saw them, right? Yeah. So we do, we have a fake Christopher taking this securities test, an Asian yeah. Christopher Moltisanti. We have Syl wearing fancy shoes and <laughs> trying on a suit. Yeah. We have Polly having sex with a stripper. Yep. Which is awkward. I don't really like seeing him in that. I don't know. <laughs> in that way? I just don't see Polly like that. Right, yeah. You know? <laughs> um, we know he has some women issues that never really get talked about. Right. But, you know, so we see him doing that. Um, we see Tony having some fun as well. But then we see, you know, then we see Carmela cooking. We see yeah. Meadow learning to drive. We see AJ, who now takes a lot of interest in his looks. He's graduated from his mushroom cut to, like, yeah. the you know, older middle schooler haircut yeah. back in the late 90s, yeah. which I was also a big fan of. I really, I did like mushroom cuts as well, but right. then there was that like spiky front. Right, spiky front. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who, I don't know, we see Melfi, right? So we yeah. see, again, like she's probably like the non-family member that we see. Yeah. Um, you know, we see her working out of a motel. Yeah. I mean, we definitely do see some fallout from the first season. Yeah. And we do see some development in terms of where the characters are. I mean, AJ and Meadow, that's a, an example. Of yeah, they're, they're like, they are they're aging. progressing. Yeah. They're progressing and maturing as they get older. But what I'm struck by in the opening montage is how everybody's kind of engaging in the same behavior. Everybody's kind of doing the same things. And I feel like people haven't necessarily matured or developed from the first season. If anything, people have maybe even kind of regressed well, as to Jan the most as Janice, basic activity. Yeah, as Janice yeah. says when Tony says, you look like a teenager, um, she says, my therapist says I'm regressing. And she says it with some pride, which I think is really right. funny and very Janice. And we'll talk about Janice in a bit. Yeah. But you're right. I think it is. It's kind of like the more things change the more things stay the same or whatever but like things right. really haven't changed yeah everyone's still just themselves yeah in a different time period basically like it's yeah. just like it doesn't really matter in some ways where yeah. they've dropped us off i mean there have been plot developments i mean junior's now in prison Olivia right i love when we see, we see junior rolling down the hallway yeah. of the prison he looks yeah. like a badass yeah but ultimately, as the show goes on, it'll be interesting to see where all these characters end up and how different will it really be. Even these developments to the characters and where they are, I mean, a lot of these things end up kind of returning to the status quo yeah. as well. Yeah. So the developments, as dramatic as it was in season one, we're really finding things kind of just returning to their most basic forms. Yeah. And... Yeah. There's such a focus on time in this episode. Yeah, huge. And I couldn't believe how many times clocks come up. I mean, it's pretty wild, actually. So we have in the stock uh, office, we have the clock behind Christopher, which actually I thought was great just in terms of an establishing tool. Yeah. Where you see him, it's he like falls the asleep, of the he wakes up, you're like, wow, this has really been a lot of time. But again, the show is playing with your sense of time and how time passes. It's actually like 10.55. I'm imagining their day probably started around nine. There hasn't yeah. been that much time. And then Adriano says, oh, just leave, and he leaves. So yeah. he's clearly not at home in this environment. But the thing that I thought was really interesting is as the episode goes on, the time seems to move forward on all of the clocks. Right. So later on when Christopher's talking to the manager in the office, it's more like 1 p.m. Yeah. And then 
there's some weird usages of clock. Um, for instance, when Tony gets angry in the car and crashes, there's a billboard behind him in a very deliberate uh, shot. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a clock on the ad. And it has 654, which is... It's, it's, it's very strange that they would have chosen to include a clock. They clearly, like, made that ad. Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was, like, a clock that was built into a billboard because we do sometimes see that. But it looked it didn't look like a real clock. It, I mean, I think it's like, yeah. you know, the mural in the last episode. I think this show did have a tendency to actually, like, build sets. Oh, totally. And build things to go in the background that do play into the themes that they're Definitely that billboard was built to go into it because yeah. there's also a quote on it that says... Summit people find answers, not excuses. Right. And I'll talk about that maybe later. Okay, but, yeah. But no, but there, I'm just saying there are some billboards in the world that have a clock on them. Yeah. That's yeah. all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, interestingly, too, actually, when Tony's today. kind of pacing in his house after he finds that Janice has taken the signs, you can quickly see a shot behind him of a clock, and that actually also says the exact same time of mm. 6.54. Mm. So... Anyway, interesting, not to get too much into it. Yeah, uh, I usually pay attention to clocks. I think, yeah. like, they they set clocks on purpose, right? Yes. So there's always, they've made some choice. Whether and there's a lot random, of them. I mean, that was, you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of times where they show up, and that's not all of them. Well, and, and that, like, maybe, you know, are we maybe reading too much into it? It's possible. But, like, for me, it's the first time where we see, well, I guess we see Tony get pretty upset with Pussy when Pussy returns, right? Yeah. But for the first time, like, he seems, you know, like he's moved on from the stuff with his mom. He's happy his sister's back. And then he kind of gets stuck again, right? And so that, for me, that was kind of like that. Like, you're, like, stuck in this anger and you're stuck in this, like, his mood and his personality and his, you know, who he is at his core. Mm -hmm. And we could discuss, like, yeah. does Tony change throughout the series, et cetera, right? Like, he is kind of, like, frozen in this inescapable kind of self. Yeah. So No, totally. But maybe that's too far. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, yeah. And I, I, I do feel like there is definitely a focus very strongly on time in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that this episode, more than anything else, kind of propels us forward in mm-hmm. the world. And they're expanding it, they're developing it, they're introducing us to new characters, but it's like, not to be cliche, but it's like, the more things change, the more things I, stay the I same. I already said that quote this episode, so. Oh, okay, well, it's just so perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's not even that perfect of a quote for this, because yeah, right. it's like, things aren't, anyways. But, <laughs> no, but there's also two times in this episode, because I think the time thing is definitely important, right? Um, the musical choices indicate this to us, right? So we have... When I was 17, which yeah. is about the passage of time. And then we have time, the, is time is on my side at the side, end. Yeah. But there's actually, there's two times in this episode, which it's, it kind of escapes from the Sopranos' normal kind of verisimilitude and goes more into the psychological state of Tony, where we have time actually slowing down. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have time slowing down when he gets in his car crash. Yes. And then we have time slowing down when he's outside in the backyard at his barbecue with the boys. And they're being goofballs. I yeah. don't know, like, what they're really up to. Hash and Syl and mm-hmm. Pussy and Polly, I guess. Yeah. And right. time slows down at that time, too. So yeah. it is. It's playing. It's, they're absolutely playing with our sense of time. And, yeah. And, and Tony's, you know, sensation of time, yeah. right? And there's definitely some ambiguity in, in terms of how they deal with the passage of time. I mean, we really don't know when this is. We have a kind yeah. of general idea of how long it is, but it's very abstract. And yeah. they're not handing it to us. No. 
but it is kind of time is kind of marching forward throughout yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, like we don't know how long Pussy's been gone, for example. Like that yeah. would have been a helpful kind of positioning tool, right? But they don't give us that. They don't give us anything we want in this yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, no, you never get what you want with no. this show. That's okay. Makes it yeah. more fun. Um, how about we talk about, yeah, that very, I mean, Pussy coming back. Sure. About that. I, I thought <laughs> it was interesting in terms of when he had that line, I knew I was in trouble when you came and said you were my friend. At 3 p.m. At 3 p.m. <laughs> and I think that gets back to, I think it was in the last episode, the finale, we were talking about insincerities yeah. and lies. And manipulation. And manipulation. And at that time, I think we were talking about, in part, the use of food and kind of using yeah. that to manipulate people. But in the episode where Tony does come to see Polly, and now I forget what episode that Pussy. actually was. Comes sorry, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's late. Um, and we talked about how, like, he's so, like, stone cold at telling what I still believe is at the time a lie, right? But he can, like, bold face, bold face lie to Tony, right? And he does it again here, for any of you who've seen the show before, which I hope if you're listening to this that you have seen it at least once. But um, he isn't telling the whole truth to Tony, although it seems like he might be, right? Like, Polly checks him out. Uh, like, we, you know, we see all the guys greet Pussy as he returns, and then Polly takes Tony aside later and says, like, yeah, it all checks out. He was in Puerto Rico and at right. the center, right? Um, but they're all treating him with a little bit of a... S- skepticism. Yeah. And fair, fair enough. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting kind of the manipulation of positive behavior like when he when he did go to visit him he brought those cannolis you know this time yeah. even like when he at the end kind of like takes him back and hugs him he goes to pat him down yeah you know pussy says i knew i was in trouble when you came at three like he's it's, making it's very, tony feel it's bad very, well but it's very bleak like anytime tony's engaging in positive behavior it's typically for other means mm-hmm. for other ends mm-hmm. and the intention isn't really that positive. Mm-hmm. He's trying to manipulate, mm-hmm. which we see that in Soprano World, and that is exactly what Livia does, and that is exactly what Janice does, and that's what we'll be seeing yeah. a lot of. Well, now they're that she's all, they're a all manipulating each other. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I mean, everybody is. You're yeah. right. It, it, Pussy's manipulating Tony just as much as Tony's manipulating Pussy. Though. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's just manipulating everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it is a very kind of bleak sociopathic worldview. Yeah. <laughs> At least for this. The group of people that exist in in The Sopranos. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. um, Anything else about Pussy we want to talk about? Well, um, there was that, I mean, there's the one line where um, they're back at the back of Satrials and Silvio's kind of giving his his impersonations and everything. More than we've heard Sil say ever, I think. Yeah, it's it's amazing too. They're, like, they're really establishing him as more of a character this season too. Yeah, and going back and watching the show, sometimes you take for granted who the main players are. Yeah. But in the first season, Sill and even and Pussy Polly. really and Polly are not given that many no. lines. They're not that present compared yeah. to what they will be. But it is interesting. He does have that line. It's pretty heavy-handed, actually, by standards of the Sopranos where he says our true enemy has yet to reveal himself and then they actually like cut yeah. directly to pussy's face laughing yeah so anyway there's definitely a lot of skepticism that's built between these characters but also for us we're still very unsure there's a lot of ambiguity in terms of 
well, what did Pussy really do? Why did he disappear? We yeah. really don't have an answer to that. No. That is one of the hanging questions of the first season. Sure. It's one of few because actually for a show that revels in ambiguity, it's pretty miraculous how much they close all of their issues. Yep. There's very few that are left Yeah, there, there was no cliffhanger from season one. I mean, yeah. we... And that's why I think it's kind of so lovely that we get this introduction to the new season that we do, right? Like, it's this kind of, like... Um, yeah, it's very establishing. There's nothing really that needs to be resolved yeah. except for the except for probably this issue of Pussy, right? Like, that's the only thing that is kind of left hanging. Where's Pussy? Yeah. Nobody knows anything. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. Yeah, nobody knows anything. <laughs> um, okay, what about the introduction of Janice? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Janice. Well, it's huge. Yeah. I... I'm I'm very excited that Janice is here. Um, it's so interesting. I mean, she's like the most annoying character. She actually in this first episode, you're still kind of like you're not quite into the real Janice yet. Right. She still has this kind of she's Par- Parvati. Is that what she calls herself? I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, like she's wearing this hippie stuff. She's making miso soup. She, you know, outwardly until about the end of the episode where Tony discovers that she's taken the signs off the house. Yeah. Like, she seems like her intentions are kind of good, it right? Seems like, it seems But then again, like, things we've talked about a lot in The Sopranos, when people have good intentions, typically there's something underneath the surface. And yeah. actually, they are very, very clear about her different behavior depending on who she's talking to. Definitely. And, and we, we, and we see, see throughout the episode, we're kind of made privy to the fact that she has different this other side. intentions. Yeah. Well, and we also see, like, you know, her, um, I mean, poor, poor Janice in so many ways, right? Like, if we think of, if we were seeing this show through Janice's eyes, right? Like, she had the same childhood as Tony, but maybe some slightly, you know, like maybe even worse in some ways, right? We saw her as a child last season in flashbacks. Um, And she's been removed from this scenario. But unfortunately, we can already see hints that Janice's story is not going to be a positive one. Um, In her first scene, there's orange juice. Yeah. And yeah, never a good sign. It's in the never show. a good and sign. Actually, not to yeah. say, you know, I'm not saying anything about Janice dying because that's <laughs> not the case here. But that is that sign of like, you know, kind of bringing death, right? Yeah. We also see well, when yeah, she when and Tony go, go outside, outside. There's this like wind that just yeah. is like blowing, blowing everything the around. Tree, the umbrella, like it's yeah. like it's blowing everything around. Yeah. Well, and especially the tree where yeah. they've really established that symbol. Yeah. I mean, we've had tree shaking in the wind either immediately before or after most of the worst scenes that have happened in this show yeah and so if you read between the lines and kind of read the symbolism that the show is introduced as kind of their language of subtext and telling what's going to happen and what is happening it's not a good sign for what she is yeah well it's also like not a good sign for tony right like we see Tony, you know, saying that he's excited his sister is here, but he obviously has quite a fraught relationship with Janice, and we can see that already, right? And he and she's something that he has zero control over, just like Livia, right? Yeah. She's this kind of force of her own, and again, like in terms of that, like nature being things that are out of our control, yeah. Um, she very quickly like goes outside of the house, for yeah. example, right? And she's yeah. smoking a cigarette, and so I think it is that like. And we know from knowing Janice yeah. that she's never someone that Tony has any handle on. Right. Um, 
at all. Yeah. Yeah. I thought actually that shot after too, I was it was interesting. So right after the end of that scene where they have kind of the creepy crawly, creepy crawler. Oh yeah, the, in the, the pool cleaner. In the pool. So I was just thinking about because it's a very again a very deliberate shot and they choose to end that scene of mm-hmm. Tony and her interacting. But there's something very kind of like insect like about that, but it's also kind of this like spineless mm moving mm. kind of like entity mm-hmm. and also it's like it's a bottom feeder and it can also yeah. it's unpredictable it kind of moves in any direction yeah. but there is something kind of menacing kind of gross about it yeah and i think that yeah they and also the fact that it's under the water again another image that this show is so heavily tied to yeah. death yeah absolutely they are not using good symbols no. for Janice's first scene. No. <laughs> I do like that Tony tells her to go be Florence Nightingale. I think that's a really funny... Right. Again, knowing Janice, she's about the opposite of Florence Nightingale, as you can get. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good. <laughs> and again, I love that line where she's yeah. really proud that her therapist says she's regressing. So Right. So I was also thinking about it's interesting, Janice as a character who comes from the Sopranos family and is like one of maybe the most Machiavellian characters we see. So sociopathic, so manipulative, and obviously influenced by the family she grew up in with Livia. Mm -hmm. Livia has almost no time in this episode. In the very beginning, we see basically where she is. We see her in the montage, yeah. And then we have the scene where Meadow comes. Now... That's fascinating because, again, for me, that was another example of positive behavior hiding true intentions, where Livia says, Meadow actually brings up things about her dad. Right. And Livia says, you do what he says, he's your father. Right. Which is interesting. After all the conflict and the headbutting between Livia and Tony, she actually goes out of her way to get Meadow to have a better relationship with her dad. Mm, Interesting. And I think she's kind of like, extending her tentacles out to kind of get what she wants and manipulate Meadow kind of to have like another Mm -hmm. tool Mm -hmm. in her toolbox of manipulation and when she then gives her grandmother's jewelry you know she knows that it's going to be seen yeah so yeah I'm not (laughs) I'm not sure that the intentions behind that are that pure right no I I never think Livia's intentions are pure no no I'm done with that yeah Yeah. (laughs) I'm over it what else? Uh, well, I also like just to go back to Janice, right? Like to see how her like her manipulation of Livia. So like Tony can't manipulate Livia, but Janice in some ways is able to. Like Janice mm-hmm. is is gonna get what she wants first and foremost, right? Yeah, like you know we'll see with the house, for example, right? Like sure, Livia wanted to have her house back too and not be in the hospital, but Janice is getting a house out of it, and Janice has her car. Right. But she but she says straight up to Tony, she says or to Tony or to Barbara, she says, I have no fantasies about my mother. I forget who I she think says she says that, that to Barbara. To Barbara. Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting I love the scenes like we so rarely see these three soprano siblings together. We didn't even know that Barbara really existed. Yeah. Based on the last, yeah, we um, may have she's a lot ac- we may have accidentally called maybe Aunt Patty in the last episode, Barbara. Well, so. maybe it's Carmela's sister. I yeah. Don't know. Anyways, apologies um, if we made some incredibly unimportant Sopranos trivia names. Yeah. For you. Um, but um, what was I going to say about Barbara? Oh yeah, so we see the three siblings all together, right? And like Tony's very affectionate to two of them. The two of them are sitting there looking at Tony saying, who does he look like? He looks like dad, right? But they have these two extraordinarily different viewpoints on like 
life, I guess, in some ways. Barbara's obviously, like, kind of a suburban... She has this, like, handsome husband. She's got yeah. some kids, right? Versus Janice, who yeah. is wild and going yeah. to art shows and stuff like that. But even in terms of, So like, wild going to art shows. <laughs> I know. She's, she's crazy. Um, but in terms of, yeah. like, how they talk about, you know, like, Barbara's, like, just let Tony deal with it, yeah. right? Whereas Janice really, like, can't hold herself back from getting involved in drama, I think. Right. Well, it's also interesting how different her story is. You know, she's manipulating on the home. She's talking about the $180,000. Yeah. You know, before when she was talking to Tony, she talked about, oh, maybe I'll stay in her home for a while, like just as like a throwaway yeah. sentence. And then, oh, you know, when he, when he says that she's selling it, she kind of like yeah. feigns concern, but clearly like it's affected her more deeply. Yeah. It's getting in the way of her plan. But I thought that, yeah, the scene between Janice and Barbara is fascinating because we get so few windows of op- opportunity to see like, Barbara's almost character. none, yeah. And she's fascinating. I mean, first of all, just seeing her, her profile is so different. She looks so different. Yeah. She wears such different clothing. She's so skinny compared to yeah. the other two. Yeah, compared to Janice and Tony. I mean, yeah. she really, she's outside of that world. Yeah. She really did manage to extricate herself, which yeah. is impressive because the soprano magnetism is so strong yeah but it is interesting because when she talks about the hundred eighty thousand dollars she says you'll get your cut yeah which and is such a mob way of saying things too right she truly, like, yeah she, i mean she did grow up in that world and she does yeah. talk about some things i mean i think even her and and janice i think janice uses the term but being on the lamb yeah it, yeah so yeah. i mean there's like the way that they can interact is clearly influenced by the mob world but barbara has managed to extricate herself yeah. from it I and, wish we knew. I wish we knew more about her. And that's part of the story too. I, in the pilot, I talked about you know Tony is our narrator, mm-hmm. and I feel like everything that we see is in terms of th- everything we see relates to his relationships and his network. Mm-hmm. So the farther away you get from Tony and the things that he relates with, the less clear it is on the show. The more ambiguity mm-hmm. it is, the less we know about those mm-hmm. characters. Yeah. And so Barbara is quite far, even though she's blood family yeah we're really not going to know that much about no. her in this show no so it's yeah i mean it's it's interesting to see her when yeah. you do but interestingly like she's the one that called janice to tell janice that livia was in the hospital yeah so we there is some link like tony would have had to tell her yeah right but we don't we're not privy to that mm-hmm. either right like we we know very little it's cool yeah um on that note actually of the magnetism of the soprano orbit I wanted to talk about Tony meeting with Melfi. Yeah. Because, first of all, there was one thing I noticed uh, right away, which is there was a couple edits in the episode of kind of something happening because of the mob's action, something kind of, like, damaging, Mm. and then cutting to from the people that it impacted to the people who benefited from it. So, actually, there was a very early scene. In the montage, I think. Yeah, in the montage, where we have Melfi in the motel mm-hmm. seeing somebody and then it cuts to Syl wearing these fancy shoes fancy suit looking at himself in the mm-hmm. mirror so we have the impact of Tony's actions mm-hmm. and then we go to them and his crew benefiting from it mm-hmm. there was also another one in the robistics or not the robistics office in the stock office where they are pushing robistics and the Matthew Bavalacqua and his associate the the two new characters yeah. these kind of like I don't know the other guys grunt name kind of, you know, mob wannabes and they ruthlessly throw coffee on and beat up this guy. Then they cut to a meeting with Hesh and 
the guy who Tony calls counselor, actually, which is kind of interesting. But they actually, Hesh and his colleague, they actually thank him for pushing robistics. Yeah. So you know that these people are benefiting off of the misfortune of others. Yeah. So I want to look at Melfi now because Melfi is a character who's been drastic. Her life has been drastically mm-hmm. altered from the action, mm-hmm. altered from the actions of Tony mm-hmm. and the mob. And they kind of talk about it directly. You know, she says walking away is a choice. Mm -hmm. And that's she is exercising her choice right now. And she has managed to extricate herself from the mob world. Mm -hmm. Now, will that continue to last? We'll have to see. But there's obviously this magnetism to be pulled back into the orbit of the Sopranos. But there's also all of this collateral damage. You know, she talks about her patient dying. And there's this key line that she has... How many more people have to die for your personal growth? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very central question that this episode in particular puts out. That Mm -hmm. might even be the central question for me. I mean, I think that that's what the show is looking at. But for all of Tony Soprano's awful actions that tend to just kind of benefit him and the people in his immediate circle, there's horrible reactions Mm. for the rest of the world. And he doesn't really ever take stock of that or care. Well, does Tony, like, out of all the terrible things that Tony has done and will do, does he ever have personal growth from those? No, I don't think so. And that's the question, too. Is Tony a sociopath? Is he capable of redemption? Yeah. And that's something that this show looks at throughout its entire run. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to figure out right now. But Melfi, as of right now wants to have nothing to do with it. And it's interesting that Tony says, I swear to Jesus Christ, nobody died because of you. That is so... And she says, get out of my life. Yeah. (laughs) So, again, she's exercising her choice, and she's succeeding right now. She's managing to, you know, withdraw from that orbit. Yeah. But it's interesting because that's so similar to Tony's conversation with Artie, where he promises him, Artie, I didn't like... Yeah, he swore on his mother. Yeah, Yeah. I swore on on his mother. What's interesting about comparing it to that scene, and it's something that we talked about, we've been privy to Tony throughout that season. We know that he was responsible for lighting the place on fire. Something changed at that point. We have a different relationship with Tony as a character. Mm. We've seen him lie many times, but mm. now we've seen him lie boldface about something that we've seen him do. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I swear to Jesus Christ, nobody died because of you. Well... That's pr- also probably not really true. Well, and even just in the context of this episode, right? Like, it's only after he kills Philly... Parisi. Uh, Philly Parisi, who is the same actor who we'll later <laughs> see as Patsy Parisi, his brother. But, um, like... They're twins. It's, it's after he gets shot that he calls Melfi and says, it's all good now, right? Like, so yeah. there was something about him. We don't know the exact what was going to be right. happening. He was, like, took over Junior's well, crew. he's a loudmouth, right? And yeah, the last thing he says yeah. is that... Can you believe it? He was seeing a psychiatrist. Yeah. So I guess that's just part of it. Right? It's like, bullshit. Yeah. I mean, there's so much bullshit from so Tony. So that guy directly did, in some ways, I guess, die because of Melfi. It was protecting Tony yeah. from the repercussions of someone, you know, yeah. reaching out to Melfi or whatever. Well, and as long as Melfi is involved with Tony Soprano, she will be a part of this yeah. and she will kind of be maybe not a direct accessory to these crimes but 
it's impossible to extricate yourself from the violence yeah. and well, the and killing I, and, and the misery. And she says that she would never subject another colleague to this. We see the other psychiatrist who Tony attempts to go to. <laughs> the right? other psychiatrist who saw Analyze This. Right, yeah, <laughs> who's wearing like a full denim outfit yeah. and cowboy boots. Which... Interestingly, it also seems like that office is in his house. Right. <laughs> which When Melfi, Melfi says that doesn't work for her right. or something like that. Yeah. It's not convenient for um, her, to her patient it, at the motel. Yeah, when she's at a motel. Um, so we see that guy really actively making a choice, saying, like, I've seen the news. I know who you are. I'm choosing not to get involved. Yeah. Right? Mel- he Melfi's says, I don't need in. the ramifications. Melfi, even though, yeah, she is, like, you know, stating that she wants Tony out of her life, um, she's already in. Yeah. You know, and we and we have Syl doing his famous, just when I thought I was out, they yeah. pull me back in, right? Like, you're never out. You're never out. And yeah. so you have to, from the very beginning, make that choice. We see a couple references to stuff like that, right? We hear a conversation between Carmela and her mother. Yeah. And again, I love Carmela's parents um, a lot. But we hear about a conversation, right, that Livia had with Carmela on their wedding day. Yeah. Saying, it's a bad decision. He's going to get sick of you, basically. Yeah. Right? So at that point, Carmela still had a choice, right? Yeah. Now, there's no, Carmela can never extricate herself from this, right? So I think that's a big, like, you, like, as soon as you get yourself the least bit involved, like even these guys in the stock office and stuff like that, like, they're choices their free will if you want to put it that way is limited because they've made that they've made that decision and you yeah. can't go back yeah and those people and they, they do talk about two people left the office yeah so that's an interesting yeah. choice and probably the right choice yeah i mean from everything we've seen i think saying get out of my life is the best thing you could possibly yeah. say um in terms of like the episode title right guy walks into psychiatrist's mm-hmm. office um I don't know. I'm kind of struggling with my interpretation of it. I think wh- one of the ways that I'm kind of looking at it is that these, um, like, therapeutic environments or something like that, like, they could really be anywhere. So, like, you know, Tony and Melfi sitting in the cafe. He's yeah. in this other psychiatrist's home. Melfi's in her motel room, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you're always kind of exposing yourself you know out in the world and we see and we see this like we see tony's psychological state is like worn on his sleeve really right like he doesn't have to go into a psychiatrist's office for people to know that there's something wrong with him carmella knows that there's something up with tony and she keeps hounding him like when are you going back to psychiatry right and we see that in the driving sequence right like he just we cut from a scene where he says to carmella like oh i've been good like yeah everything's great yeah and he's in the car and he's like happily dancing to smoke on the water right until it starts to skip which those of you who had cds like that happens yeah you know and that's okay but he gets so angry and so that he like he can't help but pass out right like it's just like such an overwhelming feeling um one thing that's actually interesting about that is as he's driving there's this loud rock music we see a bridge in the background yeah. as he's driving very quickly 
And um, again, you know, establishing something probably not good is coming. Yeah. But one thing that's interesting, I was talking about clocks earlier. When he gets so angry and then he crashes the car, then we see the clock saying 6.54. The only other time he gets that angry in the episode is after he finds that Janice took the signs. Right. And then he's pacing said. equally angry. Yeah. Kind of reaching that level. That's actually when we see the clock also saying 6.54. So yeah. there's kind of like a link between those two moments of anger. Yeah. Which I found kind of interesting. Totally. And then, like I mentioned before, we have the that sign with the clock on it that says, Summit people find answers, not excuses, yeah. right? So, you know, the goal of therapy is to find answers, yeah. not excuses yeah. for your behavior. And so I thought that that was... And Tony's forever finding excuses, right? Yeah. Like, that he is mad because smoke on the water was skipping. You know, like, he he has a lot of trouble taking ownership over his psychological state and over his feelings and over like you know who he is basically yeah um also one thing about that ad too it it almost looked like it was referencing the office the stock it looked office. like a, it was a bank it was an ad for citizen yeah. bank or something like that yeah. It said. yeah the way that it was put together though it looked like almost mm -hmm. like actually like one of the mob wannabes kind yeah of like behind the desk totally yeah totally there's just kind of connections everywhere yeah um, but it, yeah, it is interesting the the title, um, you know, because it's very little time in the episode spent in the psychiatrist's office. Actually, yeah. it's just that one scene where Tony walks in, and that's his house. Right. So yeah. actually, well, it probably it does. It's his it home seemed, office. It seems like it looks it. like a house. It looks yeah. like it. Yeah. It's very orange. But I mean, you know, that's also like a setup to a joke. Yeah. You know, and also. That scene is is great, just in terms of it's like classic Sopranos. I mean, that's like a funny scene, in terms of him saying that he's seen analyzed this. It's so preposterous, oversimplified. Yeah. But it's also kind of getting to his removal from that world and not yeah. kind of wanting to be involved in the ramifications. Mm -hmm. Even if it is over overly simplified, it's probably the best thing he probably could yeah. have thought. As yeah. stupid as it is, yeah. And it's also like an example of the show kind of using humor to. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of kind of jokes ideas. in this yeah. episode, right? Like Pussy says to Tony, like, you really overdo it with the, this the jokester stuff. Yeah. We have Syl doing his bit. Yeah. Like the guys like, are all laughing. Over and over. The guys were doing that silly yeah. dance at the barbecue. We, yeah. ha we have, I mean, it's not really a joke, but I do like the Asian Christopher Moltisanti <laughs> taking the exam. Um, so it is, it's kind of, it is like, is this all just a setup to one big nothing or a joke, yeah. right? Like. We right. feel like there should be big, yeah. there should be progress happening, but, but what do we here have? We, here we are. We're still stuck. We have people in the joking same... around, doing the same horrible shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And his psychological issues getting worse. No means to address them. Yeah. yeah. I, the the other thing I wanted to talk about was the last scene. Yeah. And I think it kind of links to that very first scene. The show's always bookending things yeah. and having kind of duality in terms of what it'll put in an episode I find mm -hmm. like they'll use a symbol twice or there's something that yeah. will kind of reappear but the fact that the first scene is that 10 seconds of silence right and, and then we have a lot of seconds of silence at the end well yeah and what happens is he comes home Carmela what are you doing home at this hour Tony nothing I thought that was actually yeah. really interesting it's doing nothing and the fact it's that it's also a reference to time <laughs> but it's also interesting that this show and that this episode is concluding the first episode of the new season with nothing happening. You all right? Yeah. yeah. Not addressed. Let's just leave it there. Yeah. She microwaved some pasta. Then 
very interesting. The soundtrack, we have nature sound. The, almost, if not identical, to the scenes we yeah. have when Mikey P was getting killed. Yeah. Signifying the eternal kind of thing. Yeah. And we actually have, in that scene, there's greenery behind... Mm-hmm. Carmela and Tony. And there's actually a lot of other scenes. There's a scene where Tony meets with Melfi. There's greenery behind the highway, mm-hmm. behind the glass, which is actually, that's almost identical to the scene where Tony, They're I think, was talking to Sill yeah. outside the Bing in the back, looking at the greeneries behind, I'm behind glad the, I can read your the mind highway. About what you're thinking it's good. Of. Yeah, yeah. That's good. But there is this kind of like eternal behind them looming in the distance that we see and has been established throughout the whole show. But we have these nature sounds and these kind of, like, eternal symbols, and they're doing nothing. He's eating yeah. pasta. Carmel's going through some magazines. They're not addressing their problems. Yeah. And that's where we're left off. And yeah. that's what I think this episode's about. I also about. love the, the part of them in the montage where Tony sneaks in after being with um, yeah. Irina, takes off his clothes, whatever, gets into bed, and then he's looking at the back of Carmela's head and then she turns yeah. over and they just kind of, like, they both look at each other in the face and then she turns back over. Yeah. It's a really good scene. Yeah. Um, I just have a couple other little yeah. things. Um, one, it's a color question for you, actually. Ooh, I was just leaving it out there. I, I was know. just. I've been talking about color so much. We don't need to get too much into it, yeah. but a lot of the women in this episode, except for maybe Barbara. Yes. Because um, even Meadow. I think she's wearing all white. She's wearing all white. Yeah, yeah. kind of beigey white. But um, a lot of the women were wearing this kind of like reddish salmon yeah. color at different times. Carmela's mom, Carmela herself, Adriana. Mm-hmm. Um, Janice, they were all wearing this kind of like pinkish huh. red. So, I don't know. I just wanted to point it out. One thing that I, in terms of that, I'd, I'd have to think about it for all of the women. Yeah. But one thing that I thought that was interesting was the color scheme is very black and white, very monochromatic in the beginning. There's tons of, I mean, when Tony and, and Pussy go down to the basement, basically everything's white or mm-hmm. black. People are wearing all whites, all blacks. Pussy's wearing black pants, white shirt. Yeah. Tony takes off his white tank top, throws it in the dryer. Yeah. Or the wash, not the dryer. That's, that would be dumb. Melfi's wearing all black yeah. at the motel. She's I don't been think pulled... we've ever seen her wear all That's black. That's rare. Yeah. yeah. All black. She's You pissed. have black phone. Typically, we're seeing the black yeah. phone that we've seen before. Sometimes a white phone in yeah. the... Soprano Sopranos household. Now, what's interesting is Janice's first scene, she's wearing that red. Mm-hmm. The only th- then she wears purple later. Yeah. The only thing I was thinking about with the red is it's actually a very similar color to what Artie was wearing when he goes to the church to mm. talk to Father Phil, mm. and he's dealing with his anger mm. that's kind of out of control. Mm. It did cross my mind that there was kind of some link there that she's yeah. anyway at one point adriana is wearing a full outfit of that color it's like yeah. a matching pants and shirt carmel yeah. is wearing it. anyways it just well it i mean part of me. it for me i find like the, the women the, are angry well and maybe it's not <laughs> even anger but it's more complicated emotions yeah. and a more complicated worldview than reducing things to right and wrong yeah. black and white yeah and we see blacks and whites sometimes grays but color is typically like a more well-rounded worldview mm. and seeing things beyond the mob world and these kind of like immediate needs for closure and understanding of the issues that are arising. And I yeah. think the women in this show th- have a greater understanding of that. Yeah. Characters like Charmaine, who's often wearing very yeah. vibrant colors. Well, and, in, and in this episode, right, like if we can take it this far, right, Melfi's wearing all black. She has made up her mind on one end. Like she's not even looking to hear Tony out. Yeah. Right? Like she is black. Yeah. On this issue. Yeah. Anyways, I thought it was, I, I just wanted to bring it up to you because I know yeah. you like that shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing, it's like more of a sad thing. And mm-hmm. 
I mean, the story gets sadder as we go on, but we one of the, the first scene we see of Christopher outside of the montage, he's snorting coke at 10.50 in the morning yeah. or whatever. Um, and then unfortunately we find out later, based on something Adriana says, that he's also using harder drugs, right? Because he leaves on her... Um, her gas on her stove and she's like why can't you cook your shit with a lighter like everyone else right yeah. so he's cooking something right else, unfortunately right yeah oh, so perceptive I actually didn't get that yeah like yeah. we don't see him using I mean yeah we will but yeah. um Good we, drug knowledge <laughs> <laughs> thanks um <laughs> uh, what I bring to the table um <laughs> So, yeah, so unfortunately, like, we start to see... And we see him, like, watching films really intensely. Oh, no, actually, we do see him snorting coke in the montage. What am I talking about? Yeah, we it's do. It's when he's watching that film. Yeah. Um, anyways. Yeah. 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 Well, let's see what happens to Christopher. Maybe he'll get... Maybe he'll do great. Yeah. Yeah. Just keep watching, guys. Yeah. The only thing I want to talk about was the song choice at the end. Mm -hmm. And again, another... We have, when I was 17, talking about the passage of time throughout somebody's life. And at the end of this song... Time is, my, time is on my side. Some of the lyrics I thought were really interesting. Do everything your heart desires. Just remember I'll still be around. And then sometime you're going to come back. And I thought that that is a kind of a central element. Mm -hmm. You know, Tony and the people around him are often doing yeah. exactly what they want. Yeah. Without thinking of the ramifications. Carmela will still be around. And that last Mel scene is Melfi how... Melfi will still be around. Well, we'll see. But, you know, a lot of these people... <laughs> Trying to curb your spoiler. Hey, you said Carmela's still going to be around. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe I maybe I didn't remember correctly. Yeah. But these characters are around in that last scene. Yeah. You know, where he returns, you know, he does come back to that house of domesticity. Yeah. He does come back to that mundane life. Yeah. And I think that that is a really key part Just of this episode. Just when they thought I was out, they, they pulled, pulled me, me back, back in. in. Yep. Well... That's it. That's where we leave <laughs> Good it. Good one. Okay, cool. Well, looking forward to season two. Yeah. And looking forward to all the great things Janice is going to do. Yep. All the great things maybe some new characters are going to do. Yeah. And we look forward to talking about it and uh, hope you're enjoying. And we'll see you next time.